Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question, why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Before we get started, are you thinking of creating a podcast or are you a podcast host already? As a podcast strategist, I can help you to launch or relaunch a purposeful and profitable podcast, which will inspire, entertain and educate a global audience. Simply book in a one-to-one call with me right now via the Calendly link in the show notes and together we'll focus on the purpose of your podcast. Today on Focus on Why, I am joined by Nadine Hack again, because Nadine was on my wonderful 300th episode. So welcome back, Nadine. Thank you, Amy. It really is a pleasure because we had so little time to talk about your purpose. So let's just dive deeper into that today. And the first question I have for you is, what is it you're doing at the moment? Okay, so right now I'm writing a book, The Power of Connectedness with a forward by Archbishop Desmond Tutu. And I'm distilling lessons learned over decades about the vital importance of being connected to one's own core purpose and values. And then based on that, being able to connect to others more deeply. And this applies in family, friendship, community, workplaces, and the larger society. I long for meaningful connections and simultaneously I face obstacles to creating and sustaining them. So I think my experiences will resonate with others. And it's not just that it makes us happier, but also when we better cooperate with others, we achieve more because the whole is always greater than the sum of its parts. Synergy advances individual and collective goals. We're we're stronger together and we learn from each other, and we magnify everybody's ability to contribute towards improving, whether it's local, national, or global goals. And the problems of this world are just too large for any one individual or group to solve. And so coalitions that engage intergenerational, cross-sector, diverse individuals and organizations um, of multiple races, nationalities, socioeconomic brackets are, are the most effective. And Mother Teresa said, the biggest problem in the world is that we draw our circle of family too small. But we can expand a sense of being inextricably interconnected as one human family through the Ubuntu idea of I am because you are. And what Martin Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. called the beloved community or Martin Buber's I thou philosophy about showing up for each other in mutuality, honesty, transparency. When we're present as fully integrated authentic selves, including our vulnerability, we offer others the safety to do so, which is what Brene Brown talks about. And when we act as connectors, we provide an antidote to those who lash out against the other, at the least diminishing them and at the worst destroying them. And their behavior fosters a 
polarized and divisive world. And while that's always been true, it's kind of an extremist now. So my thinking is rather than succumbing to a downward spiral of desperation, we can be advocates of compassion and inclusion, and we can amplify the voices of others who are trying to bring light and love into our world. And this is what I'm trying to capture these insights in my book now. Wow. Where do I start? <laughs> Have you met all of these people that you've spoken of to just then? Well, I never met Dr. King personally. Um, his 1963, you know, um, the, the March on Washington was a pivotal moment in my life along with hundreds of thousands of other people. And uh, I never met Martin Buber because he lived before me. I never met uh, Mother Teresa, but I have met wonderful bridge builders or connectors. Um, Desmond Tutu, who really talks a lot about the Ubuntu I am because you are um, idea and, and who graciously wrote the uh, forward to my book, which I now have the permission to use posthumously. Um, and I've met others like Nelson Mandela and, you know, just remarkable. And, 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 you know, it's important to note, it's not just the famous people, it's the unknown, unsung, quiet heroes who, who are doing this in in places all around the world. And, and, and I often say, you know, you, it would be defeatist to think that you have to be like an amazing human being like Nelson Mandela or to, to do this work. Like it's, it's a whole lot of ordinary people doing extraordinary things wherever they are in the world. And it's interesting that you, you, you said that one person can't solve the problems that we have in this world. And I was reading an article uh, that the Dalai Lama had recorded an interview a while ago and he believed that you can, one individual can change the world. Now, I think that what he means with is what you're saying here, that one person can change the world, but in collaboration with others. And the yes. people that you've spoken of here are all those leaders, those people who have paved the way for others to follow. Exactly. In fact, both the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu have said almost the identical words that I'm paraphrasing now, but it, basically they've said, it's all the little bits of good that people all over the world are doing that taken together, are, you know, are a tsunami of, of, of change. And, and it's also what Margaret Mead said when she said, and again, I'm paraphrasing, never underestimate what a committed small group of people can do to change the world. In fact, it's the only thing that's ever made change. So, so there is this idea, and also let me just add to that, that, you know, sometimes people feel um, discouraged, demoralized, they, they, it, the problems just seem so enormous, and they feel like whatever I'm doing is like a spit in the ocean, like what does it, what change will it really make? But that's so not true, because the ripple effects of what you do, sometimes you see them, sometimes you actually have the pleasure and the honor of experiencing how you contributed to something that was transformative. 
other times you don't see them, but you but they're there. A story about my own ripple effect, which I wouldn't have known if someone hadn't shared it with me. When I was sworn in as the uh, New York City Commissioner for the United Nations Council Corps and International Business at the United Nations, friends of mine flew in from around the world and were at the UN ceremony. And for the people who came from other places than New York, we had a lunch in the delegates dining room. And one of my friends who I had done community organizing work in Oakland, California, stood up clinked his glass and said, okay, so a lot of you know Nadine in this prestigious position, but I want to give you some of her past. And he looked at me and said, Nadine, do you remember Mikey? And one of the things we had worked on in the program was uh, the creation of the California Conservation Corps. And Mikey was one of the high-risk youth who we, and he, you know, who thrived. And he said, well, what you may not know is that Mikey went on to become MC Hammer. <laughs> and then I thought, oh my God, no, I had no idea. Cause actually his first name was not Mike, it, but Mikey was his nickname. And so that just was like one tiny example of how one person in one program out of so many other things I've done had such a big impact, positive impact on the world. So you never know. Honestly, you just give me goosebumps and I can feel myself welling up because it's just, as you say, sometimes you're not aware of the ripple effects that you have and the work that you do. And unless someone reminds you or tells you or comes back to you and shares that with you, it's not why you do it. You don't do it for those reasons. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's incredible. Thank you so much for sharing that with me. You're welcome. So what do you want to achieve with your your book, Nadine? Because I know you've taken a sabbatical out to re, to write it. The Power of Connectedness, what will it do? What ripple effect are you hoping for it to make? Well, I, you know, human beings are, are social creatures. We thrive in moments of genuine dialogue and we shrivel in moments of just indifference. So I, I feel it's really important that each person do anything they can to help heal our broken world while also healing our wounded selves. And my hope is that this book is compelling enough and, and, um, and that the stories that I share, which are personal, so they're in, embodied stories, they're not just abstract concepts. Um, will will somehow speak to people and give them a sliver of hope in a in what is right now a very dark time and a time when people can be um, exceedingly discouraged or you know just feel like what am I doing why am I doing this and 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 I think it's really important to give people hope. And to keep hope alive, you know, I, I see it as as a a long relay race toward a more just and equitable world. And there are many people who came before us who did what they did to to open things up more. Um, and we can do what we're doing because of them. 
And similarly, we're, we, we, those of us who are older are, while we're still carrying it as long as we can, we're also passing the torch to several younger generations. And I have to say that the younger generation gives me profound hope. I'm so inspired by their strong sense of purpose and values and, and how they live that in their lives. Like they, they, it's, it's part of every decision they make, where they're gonna work, what products they're going to purchase or not, you know, depending upon all kinds of social issues like fair trade and climate change and, and you know, access to education and healthcare and, 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 and other basic necessities that they're, they're really, really factor that into um, what they're doing, why they're doing it, how they're doing it. And they're so open to each other. They're, you know, uh, what today we call intersectional organizing. They're, they're, they're just geniuses at it. And I'm being mentored by them. I love that reverse mentoring. It is so critical because we we believe that we as we get older that we have the answers and clearly, you know, it is a collective uh, journey here that we're on and that it's not the case that we don't know the answers to many of these questions. I wanted to go back to the the point that you made that we you're trying to provide a sliver of hope in at a dark time. Yeah. What is it particularly that you see as dark and what is it that you may see as the light at the moment? Well, I think there are a confluence of things that make this time dark, but but also I have to say not unique because I've, I've recognized that throughout all of human history, there have been kind of like two forces one force is the force of, you know, welcome in the stranger, clothe the naked, feed the hungry. You know, it's, a, it's at the basic heart of every um, spiritual tract. Um, and it's always been here. And at the same time, what's also always been here is this very territorial, xenophobic, we are good, everybody else is bad, um, and, and kind of vitriolic hate against the other. Um, and, and those forces, so, so I'll call one the force of light, one the force of dark. And, and so right now we're, we're, we're seeing that in our world. There, there is growing um, kind of nationalistic, uh, anti-everybody but us and, and hearkening back to the so-called good old days, like when we had slavery and when women had no rights and, you know, you can go on and on and on, but, but, but um, building on people's fears that somehow if they let anybody else in, they embrace anybody else somehow they're going to lose something as if it's a finite pie and i don't believe that it's a finite pie i i i believe it's an incredibly abundant universe and and so like physically if i you know hand you through the screen this little marker it's a physical thing if i hand it to you 
you now have it, I no longer have it. But on every other level, if I share my ideas with you, if I share my contacts with you, if I share, you know, rather than protecting them, you know, there are some people who genuinely believe that holding everything close to the vest and not letting anybody else know what their what their ideas are or who their contacts are, or they insist that like, if you want to meet this person, then you've got to do it through me. It I, I find that I I find it like incomprehensible because to me it's it's an ever expanding iteratively larger growing um if i give you anything that's that's not a physical thing now you have it i have it we both have it and each of us can expand it further out with all the other people we can share it with so it is a dark time. I mean, we have the confluence of uh, devastating climate change. Um, we have a horrific pandemic that has taken so many lives. We have growing economic inequality um, throughout the world that 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 has just increased exponentially rather than decrease. And so you have extremely wealthy and very poor people, and that's throughout the world. We we have um, still have racial, horrific racial and, and gender discrimi discrimination and other forms of discriminating against minorities as we see in countries throughout the world. Um, and and sadly, like in the recent election in Italy, you know, the people who are espousing those ideas are getting elected. And um, and so and yet on the other end of the spectrum, like what just happened in Brazil, the dictatorial authoritative Tarian uh, Bolsonaro was defeated by a more inclusive populist of course that new president it lose is is inheriting all of the myriad problems that brazil and every other country faces with a with a kind of global recession that's another one of the things in the maelstrom of of all the things that are dark and so it's very easy for people to feel particularly fearful and 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 self-protective at, at this moment and also isolated and and also um what can I possibly do? I mean my husband makes fun of me when I, I, I I'm I'm so conscious about paper so that you know I save every piece of paper that's written on one side and I if I have to print out anything I'll only print it out if it's already been used on one side before throwing it out and and when I go to, we have in every room at least two trash cans, you know, the one for paper and the one for trash. And, and in the kitchen, we have the one for paper, trash, cans, bottles. And my husband makes fun of me when I pluck something out of the, that he's thrown in the trash and I put it in the paper. And he says, oh, what's that? I said, it's all I can do in my home right now. And I'm going to do it. Yeah, I'm with you on the recycling. And and unfortunately, a lot of the recycling that we think we're diligently sorting doesn't actually get to where it needs to go. 
I know. I'm. I. I've been reading more and more about that, and you know, I'm hoping that the young generation makes greater demands on municipalities and federal, state governments and businesses and everybody else on, on actually, you know, doing the recycling process and doing everything else that they can do to genuinely mitigate against environmental degradation that is threatening so many people already has displaced millions of people globally and will continue to do so as uh, weather becomes more extreme because of it. And, and, and so, you know, I was really moved by the fact that Greta Thunberg decided not to go to COP27 because she said, look, until you guys start doing something, when you have meetings like this, they're just greenwashing. They're, they're just making you feel good about being here. And, um, you know, start doing stuff. Stop talking about it. And in terms of greenwashing, let's move to purpose washing. A lot of people <laughs> say, oh, yeah. say that they've got a purpose and the businesses adopt these yeah, yeah. purpose-driven missions. And yet, you know, how much of it is a true purpose and, and not just something that they, they're saying? they're doing that's such an excellent point amy there's there's at this moment there's virtually not a company on earth that doesn't have a mission statement or a vision statement which is some form of the coveted triple p um people planet profit and they're all touting it but um sadly too few of them are actually doing it. They, they, they have their mission statement. They join some coalition of zero carbon emission. You know, there's so many groups of zero carbon emission that are so not honest in their purpose. You know, they like, like you can buy carbon offset credits for investing in a little garden you know it, it, it's really not and and then it it gives that that company the ability to say we are doing zero carbon emission through our carbon offset program we're part of the carbon offset coalition you know i i don't know that that's the name of an organization there are many umbrella groups and and um and consumers who are not necessarily savvy who don't follow all the details won't know and they'll go oh I'm buying this product because they they're doing this good thing so I'm contributing to something and so there 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 needs to be more of like the a consumer protection agency like Elizabeth Warren set up because people do need to know what actually is having an impact and and Companies do need to be, and governments need to be held accountable to what the ways in which they're actually diminishing their carbon emissions and other things that they do. I mean, moving their 
energy sources to renewables and using solar and wind. And, and those renewable energy sources are becoming more and more affordable. And there are places in the world where they're being used more, certainly more than in the United States and, and in, in many parts of the world, but they're, they're completely accessible. And so really making um, a commitment to, to switch from fossil fuel to renewables and, and all the other, I mean, you know, when we talk about the environment, we also can't disconnect it from human rights. Um, it's, it's why um, more people are using the word um, climate justice to be more inclusive, to say that the only way we can fight carbon, uh, the climate change and environmental degradation is by also enabling the people of the world who are suffering the most because of it. And this is in the poorer countries and countries in the South and countries where, you know, some countries, some places have already been completely lost by either flood or, or, or drought. And, and the largest number of people are in a state of migration or refugee because of it. And, um, and so dealing with Climate also involves dealing with social justice issues and the basic rights for all human beings, regardless of where they happen to have been born. Yeah, I I love the the reframe of climate justice. I think that definitely gives us a a more more inclusive way of approaching the the problem that we're all facing. Yes, and I've also seen people who are, you know, broadening that out to like gender climate justice so that more women are involved in decision making and, and LGBTQ climate justice, you know, so that it, it, that's why I say I'm really inspired by young people because they're, they're, they're thinking in very creative ways about how to be as inclusive as possible in, in the change making they're trying to enact and not just being siloed in that okay because it for for a long time even the causes the good causes were really siloed so human rights was like one place and environmental was another place and access you know and education for girls was in another place and and then even within movements i mean within the women's movement it's so fractured between um you know, younger women who want to see that uh, more women of color are involved in the leadership of movements and 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 other ways to make the women's movement more inclusive. And and there's there's been there's been so much fracturing, fracturing, and factoring, and 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 this is really a time for connecting. And, and convening and uh, cooperating because, as I said earlier, there's, there's no one sector, there's no one group there's, who can do it alone. Everybody brings a unique perspective that adds something to the whole value proposition. And, um, you know, it's something that I describe in my TEDx from one of the earliest multi-sector partnerships I created in the 1970s with um, 
environmentalists, loggers, government, and business, who at the time were bitter enemies. I mean, remember, 1970s, environmentalists were chaining themselves to trees for them not to be cut down, and and loggers were stripped logging with there was the, the word renewable resource hadn't even entered the um, common lexicon. So um, you know I described the process in a 13 minute talk about how over time using these principles of how you overcome the obstacles to connecting even to adversaries. In fact that it's called adversaries to allies is the name of the TEDx. And, and um, I described the process of how we helped each group find common ground and understand that there was enlightened self-interest in them working with each other. Yeah, I, I, the, it goes back to the point that you were making earlier about how there are different people in different groups across human history and, and the patterns are there. And it's something that I, I recognize in the work of Dr. Claire Graves in, in the values levels and how you've got the different values levels, which are very similar in terms of a hierarchy for your basic needs through to self-actualization. But this is talking about groups and communities and, and countries even and how they operate. It's fascinating. Your purpose, Nadine, your specific purpose, the reason why you're here on the planet right now. You know, when people ask me, what do you do? I say, I am a connector. I am, I, I, I'm, I also sometimes say I am a midwife. I, I give birth to things that didn't exist, but should exist. And I truly believe that connectedness it what is what makes possible the things that don't exist but should exist and um and sometimes i say i'm a healer because in doing all of that i'm trying to heal the world while i also heal myself i think that all of us regardless of our lack of privilege, our, our, our state of privilege, or our lack of it. Um, there's, there's no one who hasn't suffered something. There, there's no one who hasn't lost something. There's no one who isn't grieving something, something that they didn't get that they should have gotten, something that they um, got that they didn't deserve, you know, something bad that happened to them. Um, of course, it, there's scales of relativity of, of, you know, you know, there are holocausts and genocides and you know, wars and 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 those are you know one scale, but but there's no one who escapes having been wounded in some way, and I've found that healing yourself is a really critical piece to be able to do healing work in the world. That when you're operating from, um, no matter how good your persona looks like on the outside, like you might look like a highly accomplished professional as many do, but inside you're hiding a crushed, broken soul. Um, All of that brokenness comes through. 
And whatever work you're doing in the external world is affected by that brokenness, your energy, your, your broken energy, rather than your healing energy. And, and honestly, I believe it's a life's work. It certainly is for me. I'm constantly peeling deeper levels of the onion to find how to make myself more whole, more integrated, to own all the parts, the good, the bad, the ugly, to embrace them, to be willing to reveal them. By the way, that's that's um, something that I'm really discovering in writing the book is the level of self-revealing I'd like to do and still feel safe <laughs> about it. Um, because I do feel that by sharing my own stories of trauma, that I can signal to people that you don't have to be all, well, per, per, I won't even use the word perfect because there is no such thing, but you don't have to be all put together. You can be flawed. You can be, you can have parts of you that, that, that still um, are affected by things that happened to you sometime in the past or, or current. And you still can have the capacity to contribute in a beautiful way. And in fact, the more you embrace that part of yourself and work on that part of yourself. Now, I want to make the distinction. There's some people who only work on external world things and they do nothing about their internal garbage that they just spew everywhere. Then there's other people who work on like self-enlightenment and they do like nothing about engaging in the world. Like, you know, let's just have a, a circle and have energy. Um, and I believe that the two go hand in hand, not surprisingly, since I believe in connectedness. But I believe that the only way you can do good work in the world is by doing good work in yourself. And I also believe that the only way that good work in yourself will happen is by serving the world. I believe that both things have to happen simultaneously. And that is the way to live the most purposeful life possible. And when did you come to this understanding that purpose will serve you in this way and also that life is all about suffering um i had some very early life suffering that like many people who have survived abuse for a certain amount of time i completely repressed suppressed and i just somatized it went to different parts of my body so that i had a always had a headache, a neck ache, a back ache, a stomach ache. You know, I had it, I hurt all over my body from all the unexpressed emotion. And for a certain number of years, um, because I had experienced trauma, I did what many people do, which is I recreated trauma. I, I, I put myself in harm's way and I was hurt repeatedly. And I did self-destructive things. And this is where it comes in and saying being self-revealing. I, I need to say that. I need to not be ashamed about saying that. It's true. It happened. Um, and I remember exactly where I was sitting when I was about 21. I left home when I was about 16. 
And during those years in between, I feel like it's just by the grace of guardian angels that I survived because of all the self-destructive things I did. And I just had this moment of clarity where I said, if I don't stop doing what I'm doing, I'm going to be dead. So I'm of the generation that that happened at about this time that Janis Joplin and Jimi Hendrix died of overdoses. And, you know, it was very real to me that there but for the grace of God go I. And so I started working really hard on um, putting my external self together. You know, I, I started again, as I had done younger, because I, I started organizing when I was like about 12 years old. I started doing things for to make things better in my local community where I grew up in Brooklyn to, you know, all over. I was involved in the American civil rights movement. From there, I got involved in the in kind of liberation human rights movements around the world, like the anti-apartheid movement in South Africa. And, um, you know, I got re-involved and put together a whole, you know, put together activities where I was working and I was doing great things and I was, but inside I was still broken. So I'd say that I spent probably a decade doing that. <laughs> and then I had another epiphany moment. I was at a concert at a conference that I was um, at which I was a keynote speaker, you know, so there I am, the, the accomplished keynote speaker. And the conference was in Chicago and the concert was out in an open air um, pavilion in a park. And I was seated and there I was in my suit, which, you know, with the earrings that matched the necklace that matched the ring and the suit matched the, you know, everything all put together. And about three rows ahead of me, there was a homeless bag lady with Tourette's syndrome. And she was just shouting out like crazy things. And I looked at her and I said to myself, it was another one of those light bulb moments. That woman is more sane than I am because at least she's expressing what's going on inside of her. I'm sitting here looking all put together and inside I'm a mess. And so then I started really working on that to say, I want to more closely integrate my external self and my internal self. And, you know, that began a lifelong process. I'm in my seventies now, so I've been at it a long time. I love that reflection of, of, recognition and also the reparation process that you described is is a case that you can't help others unless you are healed yourself uh, not necessarily totally fixed because as you said earlier you know we all have flaws we're not these perfect mind diamonds you know we, we are definitely <laughs> multifaceted and we have these these different elements to us and that's what makes us who we are why do you think you're here at this moment in time, Nadine? What is what is the the piece of the jigsaw you you feel that I know you said it's your life's work what you're doing, but is yeah. there a particular piece that you're like, yes, I I've contributed in that way? Yeah, but can I just first respond to you? We can't heal anybody if we're we're not 
there's a reason why on airplanes, the attendant says, put your own oxygen mask on first. And um, so why am I here? I, I have had my whole life this really deep sense of faith. I happened to be born into the Jewish religion. Um, I still have an affiliation with a synagogue that has great meaning for me. My husband is Catholic. Um, we were married by Archbishop Tutu, who's an Anglican. He performed the ceremony in Kosa. I can go to a Black Baptist church and have a deep spiritual experience. I can be with a shaman on the top of a mountain in a sweat lodge, you know, banging on drums. It's like, I really respect every faith-based tradition because I, I genuinely believe there's one source and whether people call that God or the universe or the force, that there's one source and that we are truly one and that I am you, you are me, I am the people in the Ukraine, I am the people in the Sudan, I am the people in Syria, I am the people I am, and I'm not only the people now, but I believe that there's intergenerational, that we all carry everything that happened before us. And so all of the issues of um, slavery, the American genocide of, of indigenous Native Americans, um, all of that, all of us carry. And I just believe that I have a sacred responsibility to heal, heal the trauma of the world, present, past, and in doing so, help to create a freer, more loving, future. Um, I, it's, it's in my bones. I can't, it's, it's in my breathing. I can't be anything else. That's who I am. And um, I, I'm certainly not the only one, but I'm happy to be among the many wounded warriors who are making an effort to make things better. It's what I've always wanted and it's what I still want. Well, if there are more of you out there, then the world is definitely going to be a better place, Nadine, because it's a, a beautiful purpose to to have and to to embody and to to really see the passion and the the values behind your purpose, I, you know, there's there's so much there. It's it's an absolute delight to be able to share this 
conversation with people with the focus on why audience particularly because you know we, we're on board the people who listen to this show they're on board with purpose and it's a case of spreading the word as you say and the young generation taking over the the next relay baton to to yeah. to work on on what the world is is uh going heading towards if if the ship is not steered in a different direction because mm. you know all the decisions that are being made and as you say the the decisions that are not being made are equally as important at the moment so I just want to say thank you it's been a real pleasure I I feel like I could talk to hours with you <laughs> absolute hours with you but I know you have your book to write and that is going to serve us all better if you get that done so I'm really looking forward to the power of connectedness coming out it, it'll be out at some time in 2023 I think is that right yes Fabulous. Well, if you're in the future, the book has already been out. It's in your local booksellers. <laughs> so, you know, go and get it now. Uh, but yeah, congratulations, Nadine, on everything that you, you've done and everything that you continue to do. It really is admirable. How would people get in hold of you? What's the best way for them to connect with you? I'm Nadine Hack on Facebook, LinkedIn, um, Instagram, Twitter, and on all of them, it's just Nadine Hack. On Instagram, it's Nadine.hack because somehow Nadine Hack was taken, which was surprising, but I'm Nadine Hack on all those platforms. And then my website is because, because.net. So on my website, there's you know email contact and other information about how to be connected. So either because bringing causes to life is the name of my company. And um so through the website, through social media, I'm I'm pretty accessible. Well, you certainly brought many causes to life today in our conversation. It's been really, really valuable. And you can feel free to share links to any of those. They'll all go in the show notes for sure. And then anybody who's out and about, they can just grab the, the links once they, once they get connected back on their phone. Yeah. Nadine, thank you. Do you have some final words for the audience, please? Just um, peace and light. <laughs> we need more peace and light. And um, let's do everything we can, each of us, wherever we are, whatever our capacity. Let's just um, go beyond. And, and it's an iterative process. It, it won't happen right away. It won't happen in one shot. It requires ongoing commitment. And I guess I'd say to keep that commitment, this is connects to what we were saying about the external and the internal, you need to find ways to renew and restore yourself. Because when you're doing this kind of work to avoid burnout, you need to find the things that nourish you. How has this conversation had an impact on you? What value have you received from tuning in? What are your reflections with actions? Please take a moment to leave me an Apple podcast or Spotify review sharing how Focus on Why has made a difference to you today. Remember, the conversation doesn't end here. To keep it going, simply connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook or Twitter or join the Focus on Why Facebook group. All the links are in the show notes. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why.